0: Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large for MMNM, and welcome to the MMNM Marketers at Home podcast, where we hear how marketers are adjusting to the altered promotional landscape. My special guest today is Megan Rivera, recently appointed Chief Marketing Officer at Achille Interactive, after a two-decade career on the terrestrial side, if you will, of pharma as a digital marketer. We'll talk about uh, the reasons behind her move uh, and how the launch is going uh, for Achilles' first commercial product. But first, some housekeeping items, as we usually do on this podcast. Uh, a couple of uh, MMM events are, uh, recently have been launched. One is our 40 Under 40 contest. Another is our holiday contest, uh, an annual tradition. Uh, you can read more about those on our site, mmm-online.com. Now back to our uh, regularly scheduled interview with special guest Megan Rivera. Uh, Megan, how are you doing?
1: Great, considering the circumstances, of course. But uh, thanks so much for
0: yeah.
1: me. Excited to be here.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's a difficult time, obviously, with uh, the pandemic um, spiking around the country and uh, the grim death toll um, approaching, or actually crossing, a quarter million. We look forward uh, to to brighter days ahead. Um, because this is the Marketers at Home podcast, I have to ask you how you're faring under the lockdown and uh, you know what's getting you through you know i think one of the uh the main things i admire about you is your positive outlook how, how do you maintain that outlook under these stressful conditions
1: yeah no it's a it's a great question i think uh there's probably a number of things right i uh i do uh, a lot of things related to physical activity uh there's definitely some restrictions to how much we all move on a daily basis now so uh so i pour all of my uh, energy into my morning workouts and, uh, and try to stay active. It's a great stress reliever. Um, and, and really it's just about creating kind of a bit of a new normal, um, and, you know, embracing the flexibility that this provides you not having commutes and kind of a structured of a schedule. Um, and you know what, like do happy hours with my girlfriends <laughs> from, you know, college with, uh, with colleagues, uh, past and present. It's, it's been really nice to be able to catch up with people on a, on a personal level that maybe you didn't have time to or didn't think to in the past. So that's that's how I've been uh, muscling through and, uh, and keeping things on the up and up.
0: Sounds like a good recipe uh, for, uh, for getting through. Uh, okay, so um, you were appointed chief marketing officer at Achille in October, but before that, you enjoyed a 20-year career with such pharma companies as AMAG and Beringer Ingelheim, mostly on the digital marketing side. Uh, yeah. tell us about your climb and what you learned from those experiences.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I kind of see my career um, in three chunks or three phases. and and way back when, uh, right out of college, I, I got into the pharmaceutical industry uh, on the industry side or the client side, depending on uh, on how you call it. but um but that that part of my career was primarily focused in the operational side of things and and the sales side. Um and I think that laid a really nice foundation for me to enter into uh, marketing and then ultimately, uh, some more commercial leadership roles, um, but spent a lot of time there, uh, probably the first third of my career, um, and then really got an, a chance to expand my horizons into the marketing and creative world of advertising um, and got a chance to work with some really incredible creative agencies uh, and some, some truly uh, unmatched talent uh, on, the, um, on the advertising side um, and got a really nice breadth of experience across therapeutic areas and different uh, types of business, uh, different launches, et cetera. Um, and then I think the last part of my career was really, um, was really has really been about growing into more senior commercial leadership roles where I've had the opportunity to lead not just brand marketing or digital marketing, um, but truly owning the entire end-to-end customer experience uh, from a sales and marketing perspective.
0: Yeah, that's probably really satisfying to be able to control things end-to-end. <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's certainly a, a refreshing um, change to maybe what, what I've experienced in the past um, and and in trying to influence that from, from arm's length. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, related to just kind of my growth over the course of the last, you know, 19 years or so, which is, I have to say, a little bit painful to admit. <laughs> I, uh, you know, now coming back to the industry side uh, over the course of the last, I guess it's been about seven or so years. Uh, I really, I think, realized how important it was to find an organization that um, allowed or, or embraced um, wanting to take, you know, measured risk or take chances in in work, right? Um, and, and finding organizations that allowed us to think about things differently uh, and build teams that maybe didn't look exactly like your vanilla, you know, pharmaceutical marketing or sales team, I think really uh, has become a priority uh, across my career. Culture fit is so much more important than I think people realize because it really, uh, allows you to grow. Um, and, uh, finding an organization that's willing to take a risk on you and sees, you know, some of your strengths and, uh, believes that you can uh, take on more than maybe, uh, you have done in the past, I think has been uh, really beneficial for me. And, and AMAG was a great example of that. I had three different roles there of increasing responsibility in a couple of years. And, um, and you know, I don't know that that would be um, a chance that you know, a larger global pharmaceutical company would take um, on an individual like me with some pretty interesting and 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 diverse background.
0: Well, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, just yeah. prior to joining Achille, as you mentioned, you were running the women's health business for Amag, where you launched brands Intrarosa for VVA and Vilisi for low female libido. That was very rewarding work. So, yeah. why leave Amag uh, at that time?
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, 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 up until that point had, had always said that AMAG provided me um, the most rewarding uh, work of my career, Uh, personal connection just to women's health. I mean, obviously being a woman um, and it being an underserviced category, um, you know, across the board was just a tremendous opportunity. Um, And I just, I had so much love for the team that we were able to build there for the brands we were able to build there. Um, But frankly, I mean, it, it, it wasn't necessarily, um, a choice for AMAG. Uh, they decided to divest uh, the Women's Health Business Unit um, that I oversaw uh, back in January of this year. And, you know, there's just, uh, it happens, right? You know, change in corporate priorities, activist investors coming in and, you know, uh, overturned seats on the board. And there's just, you know, a desire to, to gain more focus. And ultimately, they they recently were, uh, I think they closed the acquisition. They were bought, you um, this year, but that was the end game. That's what they wanted to do to increase shareholder value. So for me, it was, you know, it it was a bit of a heartbreak to build uh, such a stellar commercial organization and then to dismantle it. But, um, but I'm, am grateful for the work that we got to do there. It's absolutely, it was game changing. Right. Um, And admittedly, I, uh, I wasn't sure I was going to find something that I had so much connection to and so much heart for, um, and so, you know, I began the search around mid-year and just was so fortunate to um, be introduced to the Achilles team because, I mean, what a tremendous opportunity to legitimately like reshape how the world thinks about medicine. Um, that's mm-hmm. next level. So that's that's been um, it's, it. I'm very, very, very thankful for uh, for. Being able to uh, to find something equal, if not even more uh, motivational for me to work on.
0: Yeah, that, that's what it's all about, right? Keep keeping you motivated. <laughs> this taking on this next challenge in your career, and you know yeah. we we talked about your your launch of Intra Rosa and Vailisi, uh for an article that we just collaborated on for MMM. Um, and, and in terms of how pharma is uh, integrating telemedicine more with its promotional ecosystem, right? And so yeah. readers can can access that on the site and, and read your views on that. But, you know, it, let's, let's segue to the new role. You know, you're going to be launching Achilles prescription video game Endeavor Rx, the company's first commercial product, which was granted FDA clearance in June. And the app actually launched on April 22nd, thanks to FDA having waived its usual 510k pre-market notification requirement for digital therapeutics, which was one of a number of emergency policies the agency issued during the pandemic. So, you know, that was a a soft launch, if you will. What did Achille learn about physician and patient experience from getting its product out into the field somewhat early?
1: yeah yeah I mean, i, I think a lot. <laughs> um and certainly it's a it's a blessing to learn before you know you're you're prepared to really bring a product through to a commercial launch. So um I personally am am incredibly uh, thankful that we had the opportunity and we have uh, so much data that we can collect um on on exactly how that went. I'll say the first learning um that I of course, had when I started having some conversations with these guys over the summer was that, holy cow, this team pulled off a, a product release in that short of amount of time. <laughs> oh my gosh, like this is just unheard of. I mean, uh, they turned that around and made some crazy things happen uh, to, get, um, to get Endeavor X on, into the, well, at the time Endeavor, um, into the market rather quickly. I think a couple of things that were learned uh, rather rapidly, which was the interest in this particular product offering is tremendous. So without, you know, any investment in anything related to, you know, customer acquisition or awareness, you know, there are people lining up um, for the product, uh, which was to me incredibly compelling. Um, that there is uh there's a multi-billion dollar market out there in ADHD, right? And uh there's clearly still some pretty significant unmet need uh seeing that. And then I think the other thing that we we were able to to learn was really that experience is paramount, right? I mean, digital therapeutics are an interesting space because they are all about the experience, the experience with, you know, acquiring the actual, you know, therapeutic itself, the experience interacting with the product. I mean, it's, it's, really, um, it's really important, uh, at least for us at Achilles, to perfect that experience and make sure that we're providing uh, the best possible experience across our customers, but also uh, across our patient population and what they're experiencing with, uh, with our brand. It's a, it's a super interesting space, um, and, and the fact that you can iterate on a product that's on the market is just tremendous, right? I mean, you're, you're legitimately collecting data real time as people are using your product, and you can assess what is working and what might need to be optimized and continue to just improve your platform. Uh, for the better, which is obviously not something uh, that we're used to in, uh, in the typical therapeutics world in pharma and such. So,
0: right. And in, in the typical therapeutics world in pharma, you put the product out there mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you, it, it is what it is. But one of yeah. the neat things about DTX is that you can improve your product in real time based on the evidence you get back on how it's being used. Yeah. Uh, can you share any of the ways you've made it better since April?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think from an onboarding experience perspective, we're absolutely looking at, you know, the most seamless uh, ways to provide kind of clarity and ease of access to the product. I, I, but there's also the engagement side of things, right? So so what about the game itself is the most engaging to our users? Where are we seeing the highest rates of what you would consider to be, I guess, compliance and persistency, Right. Um, And I think that we're able to really make those changes, uh, whether it's, you know, creating new worlds within the game environment or adding enhancements to particular components of it. Um, We also, as a part of our product offering, have what we consider to be really a care ecosystem. So there is, you know, a companion app, there's a dashboard. So we're able to improve those things as well so that parents or caregivers can really assess you know, a child's use uh, of the game, make sure that they're getting the most out of their investment um, in Endeavor Rx. And I think that, that being able to collect all of that data real time and be able to enhance experiences, not just with the game, but also with what we're providing um, folks along with that, uh, that therapeutic is been, um, has been really, really valuable for us.
0: And so, as you mentioned, when, during the soft launch, it, it, it didn't need a doctor's prescription. But now that it's been formally approved, it does, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. So we have uh, we we require that prescription. Of course, with the COVID release, we did not require a prescription at that time. So really, anybody could gain access to uh, to the product. But with the with the clearance, we now um, we now have a prescription process in place um, that we uh, that we believe is seamless enough to to really provide access and you know, to your earlier point about um, integrating telemedicine and virtual medicine into promotional ecosystems, of course, that can play a really huge role for this as well, uh, as we move into that commercial launch phase of things.
0: Yeah, great, great segue. So, you know, there was a very speedy rollout earlier, but I'm sure the next one is going to be much more methodical. You're a strategic marketer comfortable with a test and learn style of promotion. Can you give us a sneak peek into any of the tactics you'll be using? and, And when do you plan to formally launch?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I can tell you this: it won't be traditional, right? I mean, we're we're basically reimagining the entirety of the commercial model, which is part of why um, this opportunity for me personally has been so 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 exciting. It's a blank slate, right? Um, and I think we have the opportunity to to launch a digital therapeutic into the market and prove out that we can be incredibly successful in the short term. Um, and to your point, this testing and learning, I mean, one of the things that I think made me really thrilled about related to Achilles and the culture there was that they are absolutely all in on experimentation and testing and learning and iterating. I mean, you see it in our product offering, right? Um, Why wouldn't you do exactly that same thing with your commercial model? So I think what we'll be doing is exploring, you know, how, how do we think about things differently, right? We don't necessarily need a sales team of several hundred people knocking on healthcare provider doors. Like, we, has anybody tested that model? Like, wh- why wouldn't we be exploring how to, how to um, manage and, and build a sales function in a different kind of way, uh, especially given COVID times? But I would argue, really, um, even outside of COVID, uh, when things maybe um, come back to at least a new normal following, uh, following a vaccine. But, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be uh, something that, that the world hasn't necessarily seen before, even from other uh, PDT prescription digital therapeutics companies. Um, and I think what we'll be doing is is really understanding what's working and what's resonating with the market and scaling it. Um, it will likely be an incredibly heavy um, focus on consumer activation. Uh, we believe this is likely a caregiver-driven market. Um, there's very you know low risk to prescribing amongst our healthcare provider community, given the, the safety profile of Endeavor Rx, uh, especially as compared to um, other products that are on the market today. So um, I think we have the opportunity to do quite a bit in the digital channel and really innovate on how to provide a premier um, caregiver, patient, and healthcare provider, uh, and even payer experience as we move forward.
0: So it's really um, a, a, an app download. Uh, so, mm-hmm. like you know, you, one could imagine that that a telemedicine tie-in, you know, would make sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think for that reason, and also because there are so many individuals that are part of a care team for a child who's experiencing ADHD. So, you know, typically, um, a lot of these children are seeing cognitive behavioral therapists, right? Uh, Oftentimes, those folks can't necessarily write prescriptions, depending on the state that they're practicing in and how they're licensed. So how do we, you know, provide what I kind of call almost like a bat phone to some of those folks, um, to be able to trial uh, a, a new entrant into the market—that's a completely new modality—that again has a has a really um, really compelling safety profile. Um, even if they can't uh, legally write a prescription, how do we hook them up um, with somebody who can, so that they can, um, you know, support uh, their patient community uh, in getting folks on trial for for um, EndeavorX.
0: And, and in the past, um, Achilles has uh, sort of eschewed, uh, if you will, uh, partnering with with bigger pharma companies uh, mm-hmm. on, on a commercial basis. Um, so suffice it to say, that sort of go it alone type of approach will continue here.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, we're always um, having conversations about strategic partnerships, but I don't think that there's necessarily a, um, a desire to seek out an existing commercial organization um, to partner with. Uh, primarily because we're trying to do things differently, right? And there's not a lot of organizations out there that are trying to be disruptive in the commercial space. Um, a lot of larger organizations in pharma tend to play it a bit more safe. Uh, they stick with the things that they've seen work in the past, and they're slower to adjust and change uh, based on, on on the market. And I think for us, that's not how how we believe we'll be successful, right? We believe that that reimagining this this commercial model in the therapeutic space is how. Um, Achilles will change the game in medicine and uh, and that's why I think while we explore partnerships consistently across you know all sorts of arenas um, and assess those, I think uh, from a commercial perspective, it's it's not necessarily something that we're seeking to do at this time.
0: Yeah, and we saw at least one of the big storylines of 2019 was that several pharma companies were kind of stepping back from um, DTX partnerships that they had established. So, you know, why, why wouldn't you, you know, continue that independent course now? So. Yeah. Um, yeah
1: because they don't fit into the same model. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's exactly it. Those who've, those who've um, tried from the larger pharmaceutical side of things to really invest in the space or, or take it on. Have tried to plug it into a traditional pharma commercial model, and it's not. And that that's your proof point right there, right? That that, that it's probably not successful if they're uh, if they're backing right back out of it. So,
0: right, right. Maybe, maybe it was the way they kind of viewed it as a as a beyond the pill, but you know, yeah. beyond the pill uh, type of strategy, <laughs> rather than you know, for what it is, DTX. Yeah. You know,
1: absolutely. Um,
0: <laughs> So, uh, and you, you mentioned uh, payers earlier. How, how are those conversations going, you know, to the extent that you can share with us and how the, how the payer conversations around reimbursement are going?
1: Absolutely. So, I, you know, I think the, the, the great thing about um, Achille and some of the early decisions that they made um, uh, before I joined um, was around kind of their pricing and contracting strategy. So they're not relying on payer coverage or we're not relying on payer coverage to grow volume. Um, so we've priced ourselves competitively. Uh, the out-of-pocket cost for caregivers, even before we have payer coverage, is incredibly reasonable, and we're seeing um, we're seeing incredibly low abandonment due to cost, which is uh, out of the gates a really positive thing to to see. Especially because we know that other digital therapeutics companies have struggled in this arena. So uh, we did not want it to be kind of a gating factor or a rate limiter for us from a commercial perspective out of the gates. Um, but I will tell you, you know, we're starting to have those conversations now. We've been having those conversations. And um, one of the things that's incredibly um, promising as it relates to bringing Endeavor RX to market is that, you know, this is a multi billion dollar market, right? Um, but there are still indicators that the unmet need is tremendous, right? So, for example, over a quarter of kids are considered not well controlled on their current treatment regimen today that's that's a really really big number right um we also see that it's it's not um it's not what i would consider to be like sticky business right when when um parents have uh, kids on different therapies they tend to switch quite often in fact you know we're seeing over half of parents switching have have switched or plan to switch medications um, or therapies, or treatment regimens for, the, for their children. They're constantly seeking something better and different. Um, and I think Endeavor Rx brings a, a new option to the market. And In talking to payers, um, you know, the safety profile is incredibly appealing. Um, and there's also a significant amount of kids due to side effects who can't tolerate stimulants. Um, so there are, uh, there are niches I think that we can plug into that, that serve immediate needs for the payer, uh, for the payer teams. One of the other things we were talking to the um, uh, to the chief medical officer of, of United uh, Health Group not too long ago, and he absolutely validated these these unmet needs for sure. But he also introduced another um, item into the mix, which of course is not necessarily validated, or there's not you know concrete data to prove any of this. But he he mentioned the opioid crisis, right, and the fact that there is speculation that stimulant use in you know kids with ADHD. Could be fueling future challenges in addiction. Now, again, who knows? I mean, I, I don't think that anybody's done any sort of longitudinal study that could indicate and validate that perspective. But it is a perspective of you know a payer community, somebody who's who's basically in charge of quite a bit in in a in in the you know one of the largest payers in in the U.S. So um, I think there's uh, there's certainly promising initial conversations, and we plan to continue a lot of that and. Really, in approaching it from a multitude of ways, right? There's federal legislation. Um, the Digital Therapeutics Partnership uh, is working together on that. Um, there's, of course, the commercial coverage side of things, and then there's, you know, Medicaid. Uh, there's a significant Medicaid population in the ADHD market. Uh, you know, thirty about thirty-five to thirty-eight percent. Um, so that's another avenue that we'll be tackling as well. So. Uh, lots of work to do there, but I think uh, the the initial signs are incredibly promising, and in the research we've done uh, and the conversations we've been having, uh, all signs point to uh, being able to secure that in uh, in the next couple of years.
0: It's amazing that uh, that director um, uh, you know cited that uh, yeah. linkage. Um, yeah. Can you just uh, share with us the the price and and do you position this to HCPs as an add on to therapy or standalone or both?
1: Yeah, so within our label, um, it's, a, it's to be used as a part of a treatment regimen. It doesn't uh, necessarily indicate what that treatment regimen is. Um, so it's not necessarily a replacement for, uh, for existing therapies. I think it is another option to be explored as a part of kind of that holistic um, end-to-end uh, therapeutic protocol that a healthcare provider would consider uh, for a patient in this space um we uh we have uh come to market with a 450 list price um but the um there is uh an opportunity uh net right now since we don't have payer coverage yet uh to any broad extent uh to mark that down for cash patients to less than $100 per month uh for uh, a 3 month course of therapy so that 450 is for 3 months as a list price
0: uh did you offer any uh kind of copay support at the pharmacy level so to speak, uh,
1: we don't need to yet just because we have our cash price of the under 100, under 100 per month, uh, which is a markdown from list. But um, we also have a PAP program. So patient assistance for those who qualify from a financial perspective, uh, just knowing the market and the dynamics and the breakdown there. Uh, that was incredibly important for us to to do as well for, for the medical community. Um, But of course, once we begin to secure payer coverage, we'll be exploring, you know, copay programs and how we can, you know, increase access and reduce out-of-pocket burden for for our community.
0: How has COVID nineteen kind of redefined value in healthcare and in the ADHD ADHD space? And I ask that also because when I did the earlier story on the soft launch uh, of Endeavor, which you can read about on our site as well, your director of, of of payer relations had put it to me that during the pandemic. And, and online, you know, remote tools such as this or, or, or modalities such as this really be tran- transformed from a nice to have to a must have because yeah. a lot of patients obviously couldn't get to to their specialist to their uh, to their doctor. So you know, talk about how it's how it's redefined value in healthcare and in and in this therapeutic space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that th- those are all great points, and I would agree with them wholeheartedly. Right? I mean, the the opportunity to be able to treat uh, at home. Um, especially during, uh, you know, the midst of a global pandemic, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, and being able to participate in the, in, in, maybe even after school programs that are indicated to, or, or that are positioned to kind of help kids who are, who, um you know, have, have challenges with ADHD, all of those things, right, potentially a window or, or change dramatically. So having a therapy, um, that a child can, can partake in at home, I think absolutely critical. I think the other piece though, that I would, I would introduce into the conversation is that the majority of parents are really, you know, concerned with the higher order of, um, of the impact of ADHD, um, impact on academics, impact on, um, on uh, future kind of career opportunities, et cetera. And I think that, you know, we've seen, right? That learning, like the typical learning environment has completely been thrown up in the air through virtual learning. And it's a challenging adjustment. It's an absolutely challenging ad- adjustment. So I think the disruption of a, a typical routine um, or, you know, the ability to just have, you know some structure to things, it, it's, it's, it's gone, right? So I think that disruption has led to um, treating ADHD specifically um, in attention uh, to be even more critical uh, than maybe it even was, you know, a year ago. So I think we've seen uh, definitely uh, that there is um, quite a bit of attention and interest uh, in alternatives and other uh, approaches to um, to treatment regimens given given all of those dynamics.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's kind of um, drawn more attention to to the need to pay more attention yeah. to uh you know to this issue to attentional deficits. As you've you know kind of been in the in the role all all of a month. Uh you know, <laughs> what, what would you say is the biggest difference between being a brand marketer and a chief marketing
1: officer? Oh, oh so many things, right? I would probably and and, and the answer to this question is uh, I could answer it two ways, right? The difference between being a brand marketer and a and a chief marketing officer in a traditional organization—it's cool, right? It's it's you know you you have more responsibility. You can you know dictate um, you know how we go about strategic brand planning and all sorts of things. in, in that higher in that higher level role, where you're overseeing a portfolio of products um, and and kind of across the board all of the marketing communications activities. I think the unique thing about Achilles and the opportunity um, that was presented to me here and, and that I uh, am so thrilled about is that um, this is really an opportunity to build commercial from the ground up and reimagine that entire model. And for me, um, I kind of alluded to this earlier, the ability to um, really design, define, um, create uh, the ideal customer experience uh, from end to end, right. Whether that's, uh, the distribution of your product at, at the pharmacy level, or it's, you know, how you bring people into the funnel, or it's how you're, you know, how people are, are, are having these customer facing conversations with the medical community, having the ability to really, um, oversee that and architect it and, and, and realize a vision there is just so cool. So, so cool. So I would say that is the primary difference between, uh, even even my uh, my previous roles in this one. And uh, and I couldn't be more excited about it.
0: That's awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure a lot of people know this, but you were actually a sculptor, painter and creative writer who considered art school. So yeah. now I'm so glad to hear that you're you know channeling that talent toward creating the ideal customer experience. That's yeah. very cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's all come full circle, right? I never really understood how I ended up in pharma until now, maybe.
0: (laughs) It's it's an art form in and of itself, isn't it? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, it's really been a pleasure talking to you, Megan. I want to congratulate you um, on behalf of all our readers uh, on this uh, wonderful new opportunity.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mark.
0: Sure, sure. And again, uh, you can read about, uh, you know, the soft launch of Endeavor on the site, as well as Megan's comments about telemedicine. If you enjoy this podcast as much as I did, uh, everybody out there, please like it. Uh, Subscribe to this podcast, help others discover the show. Um, And uh, that'll do it for another episode of the Marketers at Home podcast. Megan, thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. Same.
0: You got it. Great. And uh, everybody out there, thanks again for uh, joining us. And we'll see you next time on the Markers at Home podcast. Take care, everyone.